the enemy of my enemy is my friend is an ancient proverb which suggests that two parties can or should work together against a same or a common enemy a phrase that some people consider to be similar is found in a sanskrit treatise on statecraft the arthashastra which dates back in the 4th century bc this proverb is indoctrinated in multiple contexts permutations combinations in modern diplomacy even today one third of india's borders covered uh, in the northeast region uh, with the countries bordering with bhutan nepal myanmar bangladesh and ma uh, mainly china now china has gathered a lot of beef with many of its neighbors and allied partners in asean that also either borders with india or are trading partners or diplomatically allied with uh, india in national security with the said doctrine today we will take a deep dive from a perspective of military diplomacy from the northeast india's geographic location the insurgencies in the area about which we had a discussion with uh, general chauhan few months back the link of which you will find on the right top corner uh, we'll correlate these insurgencies with chinese aggression and then look at the relations with other border nations with india in the northeast and how can they be overviewed to look at relation with india for mutual security and their china tiff that india can actually leverage upon as everyone is facing china's malignant salami slicing or trade slash political strong arming policies in the region today we pick from the part where general chauhan and i left our conversation the last time on the sentiment of need of amplified outlook by the center in the northeast for its growth and internal resilience today we will extrapolate that sentiment in terms of monitoring and addressing the external threat created by china strategic placement across northeast borders especially uh, at the siliguri corridor and the military diplomacy with the distressed neighbors to achieve symbiotic relations for mutual security today we have with us alphabetically general balveer singh sandhu and general shokin chauhan uh, general balveer singh sandhu uh, avsm vsm recipient of uh, the army commanders commendation card former director general of uh, information technology dgit and dgst that is supply and transport and a distinguished fellow of usa uh, welcome to diplomacy direct general sandhu thank you uh, and uh, general shokin chauhan uh, pvsm avsm uh, recipient of gallantry award youth seva medal and uh, sena medal former uh, director general assam rifles and chairman of the ceasefire monitoring group in the northeast uh, so it's a pleasure to have you on diplomacy direct yet again uh, general thank chauhan you. sir thank you so much thank you thank you for inviting me welcome sir it's a Old pleasure to have uh, general balbir on the show uh you know uh, we've been buddies for a long time uh -huh. he's a year senior to me from the nda uh, but uh, he's very well known in the northeast he's been posted there often and uh, i'm glad you've got him here uh, to share this forum with it, with us and uh, his views will be absolutely you know critical 
to our thought process, especially since he's a logistic expert. And uh, much of the wars that we fight in the Northeast uh, are logistic nightmares. Absolutely. So thanks, thanks both of you gentlemen and also uh, happy NDA day today. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So uh, again, for the starters, let's review an old fact that China is creating and or supporting insurgencies in the Northeast. There are concrete evidences that tie China to the insurgent activities from the neighboring border states in India. There are recorded confessions by the captured insurgents from the People's Liberation Army of Manipur that there are training camps in Yunnan, China for the Northeastern insurgent groups. The border area from Myanmar side bordering Manipur's More area and then the Taga uh, training camp in Myanmar's Singing division uh, that uh, lies right across the Arunachal Pradesh uh, border. And then reports uh, you know, are that they host these groups and the training camps that has given evidences of hideouts and the escape routes to the insurgents to China via the Sino-Myanmar border area. Also, the Ulfa chief uh, Barua is reported and confirmed to be under asylum in China. China has funded the United Liberation Front of West and South Asia, which is the strategic controlling body to the other insurgent groups like the Ulfa. The National Democratic Front of Bodoland or the KLO and your uh, NDFB, that is the Songbijit, right? China had been spying over 10,000 Indian organizations, individuals using a global uh, database and also enacting internal unrest uh, to halt the Naga peace deal process where they ride on the ethnic and geographic claims and sentiments like the NSCIM chief uh, Moiva says that he won't support Nagaland uh, accepting uh, Indian constitution stating the non-conformity to the treaty of uh, uh, Yandebo. So putting all that in perspective, uh, the question is that, is it that easy to decipher that the Chinese have certainly learned a thing or two from their Paki friends in adoption of terrorism, that is death by thousand cuts, as one of the foreign policy that now translates into cross-border insurgencies in Northeast to create disturbance and also subsequent regional disconnect for India uh, to gauge the China's game plan. And so basically this is clear that it wants to capitalize on the Northeast internal fault lines and fuel these insurgent movements. Uh, is this that simple as it looks or there is more to it what is the local sentiment to all this? What is the center doing about it? And can you bring out in this discussion the pivotal role that the military or uh, the center will have to play here? So, gentlemen. Firstly, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, all that you said about China following the policies, China doesn't learn from Pakistan. China is a front runner in all strategies that you can never think of. Exactly. And I admire China for one thing that they think about 75 to 100 years ahead, right? They fool the entire world 
and I used to wonder 40 years back, India and China's uh, net financial worth, the GDP was same. And they galloped and today there's various estimates of five or six times our uh, size of our economy. And they didn't fool us. They were, the whole world volunteered to be fooled, to allow China to become the manufacturing hub. And China uh, had a very clear-cut strategy out of their four modernization. Military modernization was placed the last. It was the economic and other modernization uh, which they placed first. Because a very famous saying in Punjabi, in the sense that if you have finances, uh, you can rule the roost. Even if you see in your villages, in your towns, a guy who has money, uh, he can he, he can dictate terms, even if he's not so wise. So China made itself economically so strong to put the entire world. Five years back, if a, if a person like you asks a Chinese diplomat and you're now trying to compete with America, they said, come on, have a heart. America is a world leader. We are just about Chinese. But you ask them today, they said, yes, we want to have the world go our way. They have started having the, the, the guts to say that the Chinese model of democracy, which is the Communist Party ruled, uh, single party rule, with all the ills of uh, lack of liberalization, and, except for the economic one. And that's the model that the world should follow. Their BRI is less of a less of a economic or a connectivity thing. It is more of their reach towards the, to the, to the world to say that this is the way uh, you should follow Chinese model of development. So hence to say that they learned from the Chinese, uh, from the Pakistanis, no. They have always had a role in the insurgency, whether as early as the 60s in the Naga, the Mizo insurgency, and the, even the Maiti insurgency. It is just the accelerator that they decide how much to press. With that, uh, you know, Rajiv Gandhi's visit and CBMs. So they slow down the fuel, right? And the day Ladakh happened, and the day Chinese came out again as a certain thing, my thought was, first thing was that they will, they will probably now start activating whatever was dominant in the Northeast. So to, uh, so to that extent, uh, again, uh, there's a very famous uh, saying by Iqbal, that so to blame Chinese for not uh, allowing us or to exploiting our fault lines, I think we'll be a little wrong. I need to see, put my own house in order for which I've had 75 years to do. And if I can't do it in 75 years, I need to really take stock of my own self. To uh, expect somebody else not to exploit your fault line when you are on the, you're not having so conducive relations uh, is, is not a very wise idea. So China was doing it, is doing it, and shall continue to do it uh, depending on the situation of relations between the two countries. The second part of your question was, don't the people understand? These games are too complex for an average citizen to understand. Even an average, fairly educated person will never believe that somebody from outside is doing it. 
they are experts their intelligence agencies their their contacts to contacts to contact are able to convince a person that he is being wrong and they are able to they are able to convince a group of people out of some innocuous looking issues that they have been alienated they have been deprived and that is what uh, gives impetus to insurgencies uh, i totally agree with the general balbir uh, it's a complex situation i must take you back to history the naga insurgency started as an insurgency in 1956 so if you extrapolate those 56 to 2022 you have 66 years uh to have sorted this out uh we have been able to sort it out let me just go through some timeline so that uh, we are able to understand where we should blame china and where we shouldn't blame china uh in 1946 when we were getting independent mm-hmm. a group of nagas called the naga club went to the british and asked told them that look uh, we don't want to be a part of india they had told them in 1929 also but in 1946 when uh, the independence of india became a reality they had an agreement with uh, the governor of assam called hyderi uh, wherein they agreed that for 10 years they would join the the government uh, the the indian republic and after 10 years they would be given a choice on whether they should or should not join however immediately after independence uh, our political leaders abrogated this agreement so that's the first issue when you talk of trust okay. uh, the second thing the general balbir said was about the exploitation of fault lines i also totally agree with him why would a not so friendly neighbor not exploit fault lines especially when both arthashastra and his famous philosopher sunzi uh, says the same thing the school of thought is clear if you can exploit fault lines if you can win without fighting why not uh, if someone from our side had done it it would be would have called them a strategic expert because they're doing it from that side they are the evil empire the third issue is historically when you go back to how china got involved in 1956 57 58 we had the indian army fully involved in in nagaland that is the time when these groups uh, of nagas went to china for training uh, in 1962 so we had the agreement with nehru the 10 point agreement and subsequently the 18 point agreement and finally we uh, nagaland became a state to the indian union in 1963 and the 1962 war had just ended once again the same story you have made a state the nagas have participated in the political process from 1963 onwards surely uh, surely we could have got them on ground mm-hmm. right we had uh, the shillong agreement in 1975 wherein the naga federal government uh, and the nnc naga national committee agreed to accept the indian constitution 
what was left out was a gang of uh, about 200 odd insurgents who had gone to china and were coming back and at that, that time were uh, in in uh, camps in burma why could we have not got them at that time so at each point vipul we have had missteps those missteps continue and as we show these missteps the people on the ground when they realize that you are not serious about solving an issue simply feel that uh, they 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 also are not serious about solving it why no insurgency in general balbir will agree with me the, the you know the center of gravity of any insurgency is the people if the people stopped contributing cadre to the naga insurgents or to the bodo insurgents or to the uh, ulfa insurgents or to uh, the pla how will this uh, insurgency survive so if we've not been able to convince the people of those states or the mothers of that state not to allow their sons and daughters to join this these insurgencies then we have not been able to achieve anything so the first issue we put would be that governance is a severe problem there a major issue we should have sorted out that governance we have to convince the people of that place that don't join the insurgency india will give you a better option so i refuse to just blame china china will will use it it will always use it and any inimical state will use it but and we just, have to sort out our governments just to add add to that uh, i was posted uh, there as a as a as a brigadier and uh, uh, people you know the, the listeners need to understand the difference between the role of security forces and the governance and the political leadership and the administration like what shokin brought out the mandate to the security forces is always to get the situation under control to a level where the civil administration and political leadership can take it forward to solve the very foundation of the problem and let me assure you this has been done many times in all insurgency infested states of india only places where the political leadership could take things forward was mizoram and punjab and where the problem got resolved i remember when i was last in nagaland and we did a project uh, the army did a project and uh, the chief minister of the state uh, came he says you know there was a time many many years back when you looked at the army you looked at the army that they coming for a cordon and search and now they will search your houses he says now we look at the army as you know the the leaders of development he says places where i need to give say 1 crore to my civil uh, departments to do the job the army does it in 10 lakhs right so like what shokin says when the security situation is brought to this level the political and the administrative leadership must grab this moment and start playing their role so that the people do not find it justifiable to send their children to form part of the of the incident cadres
and deaths or like uh, incidents for them, local population is like what water is for a fish. They know very well they can't survive otherwise. So we need to we need to do much more as 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 the uh, as the leaders of the political parties and administration to do that. Absolutely, and like you said some time back that you know it's kind of volunteered foolishness of not looking ahead and uh, voluntarily getting into these cadres uh, not looking into the international news that what china is malignantly trying to do with the other states also and they are just trying to do it for their own gain people should actually give some time for the donor or the uh, look uh, or act east policies to get enforced and to show its changes. And that brings us to the Chinese encroachment saga in the neighboring countries, you know, one by one. So along the Nepalese border, if people want to have these examples, so even along the Nepalese border regions with China, encroachment is in the in, in, in 11 Nepali districts and offensive Chinese activities are, you know, observed about in the uh, Himalayas and the Mount Everest, the Humla, the Rasuwa, the, uh, uh, the Sindhupal Chok, the village of uh, Rui in Gorkha and other 33 hectares land has been now occupied by China. And then there was a news of the arrival of Chinese troops on boats, you know, assist teach Chinese to the regional Nepalese people, the, the encroached in the encroached areas. Now, Bhutan, Bhutan is China's only neighbor that doesn't have diplomatic relations with Beijing and has officially allowed India to guide its foreign policy until the two signed a new friendship treaty in 2007. Uh, Bhutan is far closer to India as compared to China to the effect that Bhutan does not even have Chinese uh, consulate. China also claims to own a large chunk of Eastern Bhutan, including areas like uh, uh, Cherki, Gompa, Do, Dungmar, uh, Gesur, uh, right? And on 5th July uh, 2021, China stated that it has a border dispute uh, with Bhutan uh, for the first time since 1986. So Bhutan and China then signed an MOU for expediting the Bhutan-China uh, boundary. And these negotiations uh, happened in October uh, 2021. So this is a typical example of another state which is strong-armed again, right? Then coming to Bangladesh. Bangladesh, though China and Bangladesh enjoyed uh, mutual cooperation and friendship with you know, Bangladesh's support for the one China policy. However, India-Bangladesh Bonhomie scales, uh, you know, in 2021, marking 50 years of ties and the Golden Jubilee uh, independence from Pakistan and all of that. And then 2022 begins with Bangladesh Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina appreciating PM Modi's vaccination diplomacy for gifting 2 million doses of AstraZeneca Oxford uh, University vaccine, that's the Covishield. And the 
now this bonhomie is pricking in Beijing's eyes and so much so that the progressive anticipation led the Chinese ambassador to Bangladesh, uh, uh, Ling Jiming, uh, to warn Bangladesh of substantial damage to relations if it joins US-led Quad alliance. And then coming to Myanmar, so China-Myanmar agreed upon their borders in 1960s with uh, 2,185 kilometers along the shared borders between the two. Uh, there's been growing unrest regarding the Chinese encroachment in Myanmar's northern Shan state as well. And then there's also been ongoing clashes between ethnic Chinese rebels and the Myanmar military near the uh, China-Myanmar border, disturbing the relations between the two nations. So putting all these things together. So when India is making its... So this is internal and external uh, perspective of the policy. So when India makes their policy for military deterrence against Chinese PLA, all these factors will count. So how will they count and how are we using that uh, as, as a planning tool and how does all this look? I think Shokin, you would be having a closer knowledge about what, what goes on in Nepal. Right, being there as a defense attache, yeah, yeah. just take it all. Right. See, Vipul, uh, once again, uh, you've added a lot of facts, but uh, let me just try and clear each place mm -hmm. uh, and bring in a little perspective of history so that we're clear about how we are dealing and what kind of people are we dealing with. When India became independent in 1947, in 1950, uh, Chairman Mao uh, likened Nepal, Bhutan, Tibet, Myanmar, and Outer Mongolia as five fingers of his palm, in mm -hmm. which he said that these five fingers belong to, in, to China. In 1950, the King Mahindra uh, was alarmed by this statement. Did this, did this include Arunachal as well in the five? Yeah, yeah, it did, sir, but ah, as yeah. countries, as countries. You know, but in, yeah, in the as, as countries, yeah. five. As, yeah, yeah, it was, it was Arunachal. Also. So, yeah, it was part of that southern Tibet, as they say. So, in 1950, we had a situation when King Mahendra contacted the government of India and we actually had an Indian military team uh, going to Nepal and setting up uh, camps along the Nepal-China border or Nepal-Tibet border. Unfortunately, Vipul, we lost the 1962 border war. Once we lost that, King Mahindra realized that since India can't protect itself, how will it protect Nepal or protect Nepal's interests from China? So from 1962 to 1967, uh, they persuaded the government of India to remove the Indian military teams from Nepal. And by 1967 to 69, these teams were removed. So we were close at, at a particular time, but we it is our fault that we weren't strong enough. Which nation will put its foreign policy in your hands if it feels that you will not be able to protect it? That's the issue about Nepal. Today, you're talking of 34 hectares. In the overall land, uh, land boundaries of, of countries, 34 hectares is negligible. 
of course you're talking of places uh, and i've been to all these places in uh, lomangthang and uh, the upper reaches of mustang province which border china there is no border fence there so also 11 districts yeah that's what i'm saying but what i'm saying is that in terms of a country's border 34 hectares is negligible if the country doesn't want to make a big deal out of it but mm-hmm. just a little more history backwards nepal and china through tibet have been trading have been in military pacts with each other since the 17th century after chinese uh, i mean nepalese lost uh, to the to the king empire in 1769 they signed the treaty of thapatali in 1854 or 1855 which essentially made nepal a vassal of of the chinese empire and the nepalese were actually giving tribute to the nepali the chinese empire in beijing once the british came in and became a stronger power nepali stopped that and became a you know started following the british because british were a far stronger power and china had become very weak so in this yin yang of you know of of foreign policy you have to realize that it is the stronger man who wins as general balbir said if you are rich or if you are powerful then no matter what you do this is they are going to follow you so the first issue with india is stop competing become powerful yourself create for yourself an ability that your nation start following you and all the nations around you start following you sir but that's a delayed gratification that will take time we yeah, are now let, let talking about let me go on yeah. i i visited uh, myanmar as a part of the national level meeting that we had in uh, mapedo mm-hmm. the, the myanmar military leaders called me and told me that we have a common enemy they spelt it in so many words vibhut so they are aware i was also a member of a meeting that we went to dhaka similar they are aware it's just that today china is powerful and none of these nations want to take on china so to add a small thing to that now china is also claiming vladivostok from russia about which they did not talk since 1886 yeah right? so we will so, see what russia does we will <laughs> see what russia does whether russia caves in or doesn't cave in whether this is uh, this this is an attempt by china but the issue remains if you want to conduct foreign policy and you want nations on your periphery to follow you you have to be strong enough to make them follow you strong enough militarily strong enough economically so that you can help them uh vaccine maitri is just one small issue it there is a much larger perspective people and we should not lose sight of the fact that we have to become strong first before we take on any nation in our periphery in fact uh, you know the subject of my thesis for the phd was uh, uh bimstech they are being all initiative for multi sectoral economic cooperation uh my sum total of the findings was that we made a lot of progress on the political front yes. in which we express that we want to cooperate we want to be strong we want to make ourselves grow but this uh, 
hysteria or this rhetoric doesn't get you uh, anywhere. India has been talking about a trilateral highway from Moray to via Myanmar to Thailand. And one visit by the Chinese president, I think last March or somewhere, he declared an economic corridor from China down to uh, the Bay of Bengal, right? Now, all said and done, we have aspiration, we have thought, we have ideas, but we do not have the wherewithal and urgency to execute them. So, uh, I know it sounds repetitive, to say what Shokin says, we all in our think tanks, all in our discussion, we are great ones at telling how, who else is wrong. And at times also thinking, what should be the options for strategy for us? Let me tell you, I think you don't need to go far. You got to make yourself a power which is economically strong, politically cohesive, and uh, the manpower skilled enough to, to, to build a nation economically and not only through slogans, right? All other things will fall in place. Shokin is so right that your neighbors and even uh, if you say 2018, you all had all the heads of ASEAN countries coming as collective chief guests for your Republic Day Parade. They all want you to lead, but a leader has to exhibit the capacity to lead, the wherewithal to lead, and the lead lead nowadays is single agenda economy. Today, I think uh, Ukraine said that um, there, uh, there's been hacking of their all national infrastructure and they blame Russia for it, right? The next war may not be territorial, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, the battle is always on, the war is always on, the economic war is always on, the, uh, the battle in the cyberspace is always on. And it doesn't necessarily always need punching bags and tanks and aircraft which you need to make you strong. Maybe, maybe while you acquire aircrafts and tanks, you take care of yourself with the skills that you have on the cyber front, on the infrastructure front, on the economy front, on I, some Officers did NDC with me. Why has Bangladesh suddenly progressed? Because they, there was a kind of awakening to, to, to grow. He told me that they, we facilitate and train manpower to go abroad. They go abroad, they send remittances. They send remittances, you have ability to carry out uh, development, right? And the other day, my son was telling all Indian restaurants uh, in various European and American countries are uh, manned by a lot of Bangladeshis and some Pakistanis, right? So we have a brand. We haven't encashed it for 75 years. And if we, if we build muscle, economic and other muscle behind that brand, your brand will grow. You know, marketing alone can't do it. Uh, you have to have a product. So we need to build that product. All the, um, nobody is going to treat India like Nepal or any other country. China won't treat us like that. Even now they're a little careful, but we need to grow much more before they start thinking, yeah, listen, we are stronger, we are bigger in economy, but we can't mess around with India. We have to work on that. So basically extrapolating into your thought, even when Deng Xiaoping came to India, met 
Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi back then in uh, 1986, the rhetoric was the same that, okay, we, we both, uh, you know, whatever has happened has happened, right? But let's, let's now progress together and then the capitalization, what was happening back in China, China wanted India to be a part of that. And then uh, the Rajiv Gandhi team with Sam Petroda and everybody. So that that capitalization was going ahead in a certain way. And then that that got derailed somewhere in, in, in the process, right? Now coming to the present state, what are, uh, you know, again, the question still remains that what are the what is the top thing one point each uh, what is the top thing that india has to because now we have uh, enemy at the gates right so what are the top things that the center and the military has to do together uh, to counter this clear and present danger okay in this issue that we've already done our troops are already on the border We've already occupied defensive positions. We're already clear that if, if China was to come in in any one of the areas which uh, she thinks are vulnerable, we, that vulnerability has been removed. Okay? So if you're looking at one point, you're looking at the fact that the Indian Army has done it all. But that one point is not enough, as General Balbir had said. Your population remains skeptical. Your fault lines remain fault lines. And unless those fault lines are cleared, you can do anything. The Indian Army can do anything anywhere. It will not be enough because your population would not accept you completely. So the one issue, I would go to the second issue. The government of India has to make the Northeast closer to them. Act East or Think East should not just be a slogan. It must be bigger than a slogan. It must be actual action. You talked of the donor ministry. General Balbi talked of the border area development funds. Everything has to be put into the Northeast to make those people aware that India is a better option for them. Once that happens, no mother, I guarantee you, no mother will send any insurgent, any child, to any insurgent group. Insurgency will die on its own. In fact, talking about the Act East policy, by the way, ever since we made Act East, imagine we want to use Northeast as a launch pad for India's Act East policy. I wrote once Act East through Bangladesh. So Myanmar has its, so let's come to realities. You know, uh, like you said, slogan might not be thing. Myanmar itself is in disarray. How do I connect with the, with the Southeast Asian economies through Myanmar? Myanmar is full of Chinese influence in terms of smuggled goods and stuff like that. Again, how do I compete with them with low cost manufacturing stuff? So one thing that we need to do is all the trade that we have in the Southeast Asian economies our biggest partner is Singapore. And all the trade that happens in Singapore is through sea and not through the land routes. You cannot produce in, say, in Chennai or in, say, Delhi or Central India, take it to Northeast and then try to act East. No. You need to have manufacturing 
hubs in the areas which are closer to the border closer to the sea your access to the sea in the northeast is either through myanmar or through bangladesh myanmar for a while it's on the hold in terms of their internal turmoils their insurgency and security issues dominate more than the economy maybe you will take time but however <clears throat> i would rather have joint scz on the border of uh, india bangladesh we should get out of that <clears throat> bangladesh is want to infiltrate bangladesh has surplus gas bangladesh has access to the sea if i have a joint scz where there is free flow of workers where <clears throat> their natural resources are used india has extra electricity and and we produce there for export we produce there for consumption in northeast and and bangladesh we are aware that northeast has 5600 kilometers borders with other countries and only a 23 kilometers connect with india how did it come into being agartala is 1600 kilometers from kolkata via siliguri and some 600 kilometers via 454 For Bangladesh, Bangladesh, five hundred kilometers via Bangladesh, right? Now, actually, the partition of India made Northeast vulnerable and strategically important and critical, right? So, we should have been waking up right from the nineteen forty-eight fifty onwards. We had brilliant guys in our leadership. We had brilliant guys in the foreign service. We should have woken up then. the waterways between between east india and northeast were fabulous now because of bangladesh being east pakistan all those waterways got curtailed and waterways are the cheapest means of transport which adds to your or reduces your logistic cost and that's how the economy is thrive and now for last almost 15 years plus we've had fabulous relations with bangladesh we are still moving at a pace slower than a snail to have these direct rail links and waterways and uh, through traffic functioning only i think 2 years back we sent our food grain uh, of the fci through the ship to bangladeshi port and then into agartala and other states uh, bangladesh has surplus landed capacity of digital international uh, cables why can't i make northeast as a hub for uh, data centers and uh, it this beautifully connected by air we do not we do not think that way we do not think out of the box and we would like to and let me also tell you most of the policy makers involved with the policies of the northeast fly from delhi to say imphal or mizoram that is aizal uh, and yeah. such other places once you go by road you realize that to cover 200 km between dimapur and imphal you at times take 8 to 9 to 10 hours right uh, i remember uh, going by the scorpio vehicle you at times are moving at an average of 10 km an hour so uh, connectivity is an issue economic development is then only can you act east and act east doesn't lie even in guwahati act east lies in more in fall in agartala in parts of mizoram right 
and you have to create win-win-win-win situations for you and your neighbor. Because if you are having 5,600 kilometers with your neighbor, with a term of reference of China not being a great friend, so reduce that 100 kilometers of LAC. Uh, let me just also tell you, China was not India's neighbor. Okay, Maharaja Ranjit Singh's forge, uh, which was uh, past Ladakh, they, they had packed with, uh, with Tibet. And it is our foolhardiness that we made China as our neighbor, otherwise Tibet was our neighbor. And uh, pre-independence, till 1950 rather, uh, Pasi Ghat is a place in Assam where the population from Tibet used to come for their daily needs and other things. So the informal trade was hell of a lot. How did the Northeast get starved also? Because this informal trade between Tibet and the Northeast also went for a six, right? So uh, the key lies in, again, like Shokin said, or the military, I would again re-emphasize the key lies in economy, making Northeast a manufacturing hub, which is vibrant, because you've got tremendous natural resources, disproportionate natural resources. It formed 8% of our geographical area with only 4% population. So that means the land to man ratio is favorable. Natural resources are the best, starting from hydroelectricity, starting from flora and water, fauna. Water. Uh, potential is immense. We have to make it a manufacturing hub to be able to act east. So, uh, very rightly said. Uh, matter of fact, I would like to add that uh, very recently we have uh, an agreement with Bangladesh to use their uh, international waters via Agartala to the uh, Southeast Asian nations for the water trade. So things are moving ahead. Also, uh, uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe-san was uh, in uh, Northeast and uh, uh, there is a proposed uh, manufacturing hub and the SEZ in, um, uh, in, in, in Arunachal Pradesh uh, itself uh, for industrial development. So things are happening, will take time, center is doing its thing. But yes, the, the movement is at a snail's uh, you know, pace. People of Northeast feel a bit alienated from the mainland India. What can we as citizens and then the center do to bring these two masses or homogenize the population so that there is no divide? And then, you know, we can rest assured that, you know, there is a heavy support and the acceptance towards mainland India. You see, Vipul, uh, I was in Nagaland when uh, we, uh, when the Corona crisis or the COVID crisis hit India. Uh, we had the lockdown in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. And uh, by May 2020, uh, there was not a single case in Nagaland, not even a single case. But so many young Naga citizens, uh, Nagaland citizens, and I'm talking to the rest of the Northeast also, who were working in uh, mainland India, China, uh, Delhi, Pune, Mumbai, Bangalore, uh, to just a few of the places, certainly had no place to stay. So many students were outside who had no place to stay because we closed all our institutions. And I was talking to the parents of uh, these young citizens of India 
uh, and they were so worried. Uh, there is no educational institute. There is no industry. Where do these children study? You close down your institutions, you close down your hostels, you are people who are, uh, you know, hosting them in their houses, you close that down and you tell them, go back to where you are. How do these children go back? And do they go back with happy memories or do with bad memories? The, it is such a stark comparison, Vipul, that the children of, of very well-to-do affluent civil services, civil servants, in you know, rich, rich people of Nagaland, whose children outside had no place. And they all came back in special trains five days, seven days, nine days later in terrible shape. And there were special camps there, and that is how the COVID infection started growing in Nagaland. So the issue is that we have not done anything in these states. We have not improved their roads. We have not built the industry. We have not built any educational institute. The, when I was leaving Nagaland uh, last year, I had finished my two years with them as the chairman of the C5 monitoring group. The, the, the chief minister of Nagaland asked me, he says, General, I trust you. I'm willing to give you 500 acres of land. Please bring an educational institute of repute to Nagaland. Can you imagine for the last one year, I have been talking to people and there's not a single person who's willing to put his money in Nagaland to build an educational institute. What are we talking about? I mean, we just, these are empty promises, people, empty issues. On ground, there is nothing there. There is no college where these children can study. There is no industry where these children can work. And then you tell them that you don't join the insurgency or you look at this issue. You're not doing anything for them. How will these children grow? How will anything grow? How will our contact with the Northeast grow? It can only be done emotionally, economically, in understanding. We are the bigger people. The mainland India is huge. They're only 8% of the landmark of the entire Northeast. Nagaland is only 24 lakh people. Yeah. There's less in Vasant Vihar. There is more in Vasant Vihar than Nagaland. So, you know, so the issue is that while we, I appreciate your discussion and I appreciate this point, there, there's no one who understands anything about what to do. And no one is willing to do it. And I'm sure General Balbir would uh, have second is, second is, I would say, uh, we create organization. There's a Ministry of Donor. There is a Northeast <laughs> Council, which is located in Shillong. I feel one big step that you need is integration within the Northeast. Absolutely. You'll be surprised to know that Tripura is totally different from Arunachal and Absolutely. likewise Manipur is totally different from Assam and there is so much of complementarity of resources, talent, handicraft, terrain within the Northeast. I think there's a very, very urgent need to integrate the Northeast within themselves uh, primarily through connectivity and economic activity. Yeah. What is produced in, in, in Arunachal 
is totally alien to even the base of that, that is Nagaland, right? Nagas would not know, and that's the case in entire country, by the way. If a guy belongs to, say, Sholapur districts in Maharashtra, uh, he doesn't know. Uh, most of them don't leave the district all their lives, eh, by the way. And same is the case in Punjab. So we need to integrate Northeast by creating an awakening that, you know, thing from here can sell here and from here can sell there and connectivity. Uh, like I'll give you again the example, Dimapur, Imphal, we should be doing in two hours. They should be an expressway. Whereas we do it in six to seven to eight hours. Mm. National Highway, which connects Imphal to Iser, two state capitals, does not exist. When I was posted there, I'm told, uh, you know, even a Jeep can't go on that. It's the National Highway, right? So, uh, I remember in my last conversation with General Chauhan, he said, you know, and, and he very categorically said that Vijayanagar even today doesn't have a road. Even today it doesn't have a road. Yeah, yeah. And so, the NH53, and I know what's the latest name, which connects Silchar to uh, Imphal again. Uh, These are the bad roads bad. leading to the capitals, capitals uh, of the of the states. Yeah. Even the rural roads in other states, say Punjab and others, are better than the national highways there. Absolutely. So you have to connect people. You have to give impetus to economy. And like what Shokan says, why should they all come to Delhi for education? There should be institutions over there. This is such a beautiful countryside where people from Delhi should go and educate themselves there. Exactly. So that's the way. Uh, and why? Why? What stops me from having uh, an IT hub at Aizal or an IT hub at Koima Imphal? Very much possible. In fact, uh, Imphal Valley is exactly like the Kashmir Valley. It's so beautiful. Exactly. It's so beautiful. Koima is so beautiful. But then we just just not put in enough effort. Internal integration is is important. So I guess we can go on, but time uh, is of uh, this thing. And uh, I, I really appreciate uh, both of you giving your valuable time here. So with enough said and well covered by both of you gentlemen, I'd like to say that China's map, uh, uh, this is a bit rhetoric. So China's map, uh, looks like a rooster and is a matter of luck for the Chinese people as the rooster signifies uh, prosperity in the Chinese culture. However, as the map is changing daily, China is seen pushing itself more into conflicts uh, with the trade and wealth slowly fading away. Uh, this, this certainly looks like a bad omen. And as for the uh, Northeast India, it is culturally deep-rooted as uh, Parshuram Kund in Arunachal Pradesh is where Sage Parshuram washed his sins after vanquishing the evil forces. And Manipuri uh, Princess Chitrangada was Arjun's wife. And uh, and and as my uh, uh, we had a very good conversation. Me and my friend uh, uh, Pem Ong Pazo from. Uh, Sikkim, um, may he rest in peace. Um, and I would dedicate some part of this video to him. Uh, the Sikkim uh, state has a legend of Holy Spirit of uh, Baba Harbhajan Singh guarding the uh, Indian borders. And uh, 
the ones who are guarding it so it's it's high time that uh, we start getting an active local and central and vice versa uh, and a tactical support from the political factions from the northeastern region so that the center amplifies its governance system and mainly the military gets an uh, added support that it really needs from our fellow countrymen from the eight gems in northeast on this thought signing off for diplomacy direct i am vipul tamhane thank you gentlemen for joining this discussion for national awareness thank you so much thank, thank you. you so much thank immensely you. enjoyed it immensely. thank you sir enjoyed ourselves bye Thanks gentlemen thank you so much yeah.